All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the second letter to the Corinthians. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 15. This particular paragraph begins a span of, of reasoning and arguing that really is fascinating and uh, difficult and fun and complex all kind of rolled into one. And so as we uh, jump into this section, let's just make sure we're aware of where we're at in the overall flow of the letter. We're in the final major section that began in chapter 10. And in this final major section, Paul is focusing mostly on challenging his opponents, especially those who he kind of deems super apostles that have come in from the outside, have subverted his authority, have stirred up all sorts of trouble. So that's where we're at in the, the letter. And in chapter 10, Paul focused on specifically how he carries his authority in his ministry. He emphasized that, he, uh, that his apostolic authority is given to him by the Lord for the church's benefit, to build them up, not tear them down. And he wants them to know, he said in chapter 10, that he's the same person in letter that he is in person when he's present with them. And that if he has to be strong and stern in person, he can do that, but he'd prefer not to. And he ended that section in chapter 10 by subverting his opponent's approach to ministry and authority. They boast in themselves. They commend themselves. They compare themselves um, with other people and with themselves, and that's how they promote themselves. Paul, on the other hand, doesn't do any of that. He stays within his sphere of ministry, the one that the Lord gave him. He only seeks the Lord's commendation, not people's, and his boast is in the Lord, no one else's. So all of that leads up to this present moment that begins here in 11, 1 through 15 and goes all the way into chapter 12. And it's a fascinating little section where Paul is going to boast. All right, they want to boast. Paul's going to play the game. He'll boast. Uh, he calls it foolish. But when he boasts, he boasts in all the wrong things. And so we'll see that in the next recording. But he sets all that up here in verse 11, 1 through 15. And he does this aimed at undoing or subverting the false super apostles and uh, seeking to eliminate their influence. And so here's what he says in chapter 11, verse 1. He says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. Notice that second half of the verse where it says, indeed, you are bearing with me. It could read that way, or it could read, and I think this is better, uh, and more of an imperative. Yes, bear with me. And it seems like that makes more sense because he's not saying you're already bearing with me. He's restating his desire that they would bear with him by calling him to do it. So I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. And what he means by a little foolishness is how he's going to end up boasting. Again, he boasts in all the wrong things. It's sort of an anti-boast. We'll get to that um, in the next recording. But that's what he's appealing to. Would you just put up with a little bit of foolishness from me, please? That's the idea. And why does he want them to put up with a little bit of foolishness? Well, he explains that in the next handful of verses. So look at verse 2. For explaining, uh, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his trickery, your minds will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so... He, he wants them, he's going to appeal to them to put up with a little bit of foolishness because he's appealing to them like a, a father who has 
has presented his daughter to a husband. And he says he's jealous with you with a godly jealousy, literally a jealousy from God. And in English, the word jealousy almost routinely is always negative. But this particular word in Greek, zelos, uh, could speak of the negative emotion that we call jealousy. But it also could be used for a positive emotion of intense desire or even intense dedication, a deep interest in care and concern for someone. In fact, uh, an early church father, Chrysostom, who was a native Greek speaker, right? He knew Greek as his uh, first language, says that jealousy, as it's used here in this verse, is actually stronger than love. He says this, jealous souls burn ardently for those whom they love, and jealousy presupposes a strong affection. Notice that, that it's born out of affection and love. And that's the idea here, that Paul is deeply interested in, deeply cares about. He's deeply concerned for the Corinthians. And he says this is from God. So it's going to follow his character. It's a godly jealousy. It's going to follow his character, not human uh, ways of being jealous. And what he's specifically concerned about is their faithfulness to Jesus. And he uses the imagery of a, a bride being given away to her husband. And he's concerned about their pure devotion to Jesus. He's afraid that, that their minds are going to be led astray. And so the implication is, is that he sees that those who are coming in and stirring up trouble are actually teaching false things that are going to lead them away from Jesus. Not just they're opposed to Paul, but in their opposition to Paul, they're actually teaching something false that will lead the Corinthians away from Jesus. And so Paul goes on in verse 4, and he states explicitly his concern. He says in verse 4, 4, if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, this you tolerate, this you bear quite well. So again, he's explaining further what he has in mind. Here's a further reason why he wants them, this is really at the heart of the reason why he wants them to bear with him in the foolishness that he's going to engage in. Um, part of the problem in Corinth is not just their opposition to Paul, but as Paul sees it, um, it's really a false gospel that they are being uh, taught and that they're believing. And that's why he's urging them to bear with them. In fact, here at the end of verse 4, when he says, this you tolerate very well, that word tolerate is actually the same word translated bear in verse 1. And the idea is you, you're going to bear with people who are teaching you a different Jesus, uh, passing on a different spirit and preaching a different gospel than we preach to. You put up with that just fine. So could you at least put up with me as I engage in a little bit of foolish boasting? That's where all this is going. Now, we don't know in exactly in what way the gospel being preached um, by these outsiders who have come in was different, was false. But we can piece together some things about it from what Paul says in the letter. It seems like they were preaching a gospel that entailed achievement and success and outward growth and appearance. And that's why, you know, they had to run Paul down for his suffering and his lowliness and his self-sacrifice and his weakness. It, it almost seems like they were preaching some sort of version of a prosperity gospel. Like if you really were of the spirit and you really had faith, then man, it wouldn't look like this lowly, weak, suffering thing that Paul has. It would, it would be like us with all our letters of recommendation and accomplishment and success. It seems like that's what's going on. And that's why Paul calls it a different gospel. 
So in verses 1 through 4, Paul has called them to bear with him rather than with the false super apostles. And now what he does in verses 5 through 15 is he turns to talk specifically about the Corinthians and about his approach to ministry in relationship to them. That's where we're going to go in verse 5 and following. So he says, For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. That phrase, most eminent apostles there in verse 5, that's the phrase that literally is like super apostles, those hyper apostles. And I think it's a sarcastic phrase from Paul that he's, not that that's what they would call themselves, it's one he's, he's attached to them. They're claiming to be apostles, they're claiming to represent God, they're claiming to represent Jesus, and they're claiming that they're so awesome and so great. So Paul has labeled them, I think, with this little bit of, Kind of sarcastic phrase. And he says, I don't consider myself inferior to those guys at all. He says in verse 6, even if I'm unskilled in speech, yet I'm not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. And when he says unskilled in speech, the word translated unskilled is actually idiotes in Greek. Um, but it doesn't mean an idiot. <laughs> it sounds like idiot. It's the word we get our English word idiot from, but it doesn't quite mean that. It means to be untrained in a particular skill or particular field. We might use the word amateur. Uh, when Paul says, I'm unskilled in speech, I'm even if I'm an amateur in speech, when he means speech, he means uh, the skill of rhetoric. Like, even if I don't have any professional training or experience uh, in rhetoric, that's the idea, yet I'm not so in knowledge. Now, interestingly, this word uh, unskilled sometimes was actually used of a professional rhetorician who chose not to use that skill or act as a public orator um, for his own advancement, but he actually used his uh, art of public speaking for the good of others. So in whatever way Paul appeared as an amateur in rhetoric, or in whatever way someone maybe accused him of being that, what Paul says here is like, yes, but when it comes to knowledge, knowledge of Jesus and knowledge of the gospel, I've made it perfectly clear uh, that I'm not an amateur in that. I've got all the knowledge in the world of Jesus and of the gospel. This then leads to a specific practice of Paul's in his ministry that actually contributed to some of the accusations against him. So look at verse 7. He says, Or did I commit a sin? Again, he's being a little bit facetious. Did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel to you without charge. This was a standard practice for Paul. So rather than advancing himself and using his skills in order to win people over to him so he could, you know, get, you know get money and advance his career as a public speaker, whatever else, he lowered himself and he preached the gospel free of charge. And so here Paul is like, so was I wrong in doing that? Like I sought to benefit you. I sought to build you up and exalt you, not myself. Somehow was that wrong? Verse eight, he goes on, he says, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I wasn't a burden to anyone. Now, again, this was a standard practice for Paul, and we're beginning to get a glimpse of it here, how it worked for him. He, he had a very clear operating uh, policy when it comes to taking funds, and that is this, that when he moved to a new town to start a new church and a new ministry, he wouldn't take wages or funds 
from that brand new church until after he had left. So here in verse 8, when he says, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you, what he means is, I, I got funds from uh, churches in Macedonia, maybe churches in Galatia, other churches that I had started, they were sending money my way to continue my ministry so that I didn't have to take money from you at the time I was with you. And so I was present with you and I was in need, but I wasn't a burden to anyone. I didn't expect any of you to pay for my room and board. And then he goes on, he says, for, he explains what happened in the second half of verse 8, for, when the brothers came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need, and in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you, and I'm going to continue to do so. So we have Paul's general approach to this in ministry. Start a church. When he's in town starting that church, he won't take any funds from that church. He won't take any support from that church. But when he leaves, if they want to contribute to his ministry, they can do so. That's Paul's general approach. And here in Corinth, we have described in verses 8 and 9 the specific way it played out. Paul shows up. He's not going to be a burden for them, even though he was in need. Uh, and finally, some brothers came from Macedonia and they brought a gift. They brought an offering from the churches in Macedonia with them. And that allowed him then to meet his needs and give himself more and more to ministry. This is actually hinted at in the story of the founding of the church in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. When Paul first came to Corinth, he actually worked with his own hands at his own trade in order to provide for his own room and board. You hear this in Acts chapter 18, verses 2 and 3. This is what it says. And he came to Corinth. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them. And because they were of the same trade as, the, as he was, he stayed with them and they worked together for they were tent makers by trade. And so when Paul shows up, he finds these uh, two believers already, Aquila and Priscilla. They have the same trade. He works with them to, to take care of his own needs because he's not going to be a burden on the Corinthians, as he says here in uh, chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. But when members of his team came down to Corinth from Macedonia... They, uh, uh, he says here, they supplied my need. They brought an offering from the Macedonian churches so he could preach full time and not take money from the Corinthians. And so you hear in Acts chapter 18, verse 5, this. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the king, the Messiah. And so that's how it played out in Corinth that he is working uh, with Aquila and Priscilla at his trade. Silas and Timothy come down. They fully supplied his need with an offering from Macedonia. And so he ceased working his trade and gave himself full time to ministry. This sort of thing was Paul's consistent practice of ministry. There were a few exceptions, like at Philippi and all that. But generally speaking, this was his consistent practice in ministry. He would work for his own room and board, or if he had money that had been given to him from other churches elsewhere, he would use that to support himself and live off of so he could give himself to ministry. But he wouldn't take money from the, the new town where the new church was that he was just planting. And because of that, presumably his opponents used that against him. And that's why he's bringing this up here. It's like, like, was this wrong? Did I commit a sin by humbling myself by doing this? I robbed other churches to serve you. I wasn't a burden to you. Was somehow I wrong in doing this? They were using this against him 
Um, but Paul was so value-driven about this, and this was such a key value of his, he wasn't going to change it. And so he says, and, and I will continue to do this. I'm not going to change this. Uh, just because his opponents didn't like it, he's not going to change his approach to ministry. And so he continues in verse 10 and says, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. This is a follow-up to the end of verse 9 where it says, and I will continue to do so. Uh, Paul's going to continue this approach to ministry. And so this boasting of mine is this approach to ministry, this lowering himself to serve them, this not being a burden on them, preaching the gospel free of charge and embodying the gospel in the way he proclaims it. That's his boasting here in verse 10. Why does he call it that? Well, the reason he calls it that is because those people that have come in from the outside, they're boasting in their credentials. They're boasting in their authority. They're boasting in their superiority to Paul. And so Paul's been drawn into that. And so he's going to use their language and he's going to boast a little bit. And he'll actually totally go on to boast here in the second half of chapter 11. So he's been drawn into that, but he boasts in a different sort of way. He, he fights in, in different terms, as he explained in chapter 10, not the world's way, but God's way. And so Paul's self-lowering approach to ministry, that's what he boasts about. And he's not going to quit that approach to ministry uh, just because his opponents use it against him. That's his boast in ministry. In fact, the word translated stopped here is more accurately translated silence. It's the idea of shutting, and it's used for shutting of mouths, silencing. And so he's saying, my boast is not going to be silenced in Achaia. And Achaia is the region where Corinth is. And why won't Paul quit this humble, self-giving, free-of-charge approach to ministry? Verse 11, why? Because I don't love you? God knows that I do. Do you guys actually think that the reason I didn't take your money and, and seek patronage there in town, do you think the reason I didn't do that was because I don't love you? No way. God knows I love you. Paul carries out his ministry before God, as he said multiple times in this letter, and God knows the truth of the matter. God knows that he loves the Corinthians. Uh, but, verse 12, he goes on, but what I am doing I will continue to do this approach to ministry, this self-giving approach to ministry, this policy that he has, what I'm doing, I will continue to do so that I may eliminate the opportunity from those who want an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. All right, let's clarify what Paul means there in verse 12. Paul says that he's not going to change his approach to ministry. He's going to continue his same approach to ministry, his same self-lowering approach, his not being a burden and preaching the gospel free of charge and not taking patronage or money from the Corinthians approach. He's going to continue that practice. Um, why? Well, because those guys who have come to Corinth, they want to say they're providing the same thing as Paul. They actually want to say they're better than Paul and they're preaching the same gospel. But Paul's approach to ministry is so different that it should be obvious that what Paul is teaching, what Paul is embodying, what Paul is practicing is not the same thing that those other guys are. They want to claim that they're just like Paul and his team, but they're not. And so Paul's going to stick with his approach to ministry to make it clear that they're not the same as him, that they're wrong, and they're preaching a different message and a different gospel. They're embodying a different message and a different gospel. Then, in verse 13, Paul goes on to explain in a very straightforward, even kind of confrontational way, what the truth about those guys is. Look what he says. For such men, that is, those who claim to be like Paul, those who claim to, and, and those who promote themselves, those who have taken the Corinthians' money, right, and all of this to advance themselves, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves 
as apostles of Christ. Notice what Paul says, that these guys are false apostles. They claim to be apostles of Christ. They claim to be ambassadors of Jesus and representing Jesus, but they're false apostles. They're deceitful workers. They're, they're in disguise. And as such, they're actually following the example of Satan. Look at verse 14. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Man, this is strong confrontational language from the Apostle Paul. But since Satan is the father of lies, those who deceive and lie, well, they're speaking Satan's native language. They're following his example. And it's particularly bad when people do that uh, in the name of servants of Christ, as apostles of Christ. And that's what Paul says these guys are doing. They claim to be apostles, but they aren't. They claim to be representatives of Jesus, but they're embodying and teaching a completely different message. They dress up, therefore, as servants of righteousness, but they're actually wolves in sheep clothing, and their end will be according to their deeds. So to summarize this section, Paul's great concern is that the those who are listening to these false super apostles are going to be led away from pure devotion to Jesus. And he's appealing to them to, to open their eyes, to pay attention, to listen to Paul, to change their ways, and to return to Paul and the true gospel that he preaches. That's his appeal. That's what he wants. And in doing that, he's really pointed out with very clear, explicit, confrontational language the reality about who these false apostles really are, that they're servants of Satan. They're not really servants of Jesus. And so don't listen to them. Come back to Paul. Now, all of that began with Paul saying, I wish you would bear with a little foolishness of mine. And what he means by that is a little boasting. And his initial boast is in his approach to ministry, that he preached the gospel free of charge. Where he's going to go and what follows then is a full-blown sort of like credential list, a full-blown set of boasting, but it's going to be an anti-boast in verses 16 and following. We'll turn to look at that in our next recording. All right, thanks for tuning in to this session on the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the generous support of people just like you. Some give $5, some give $25, some give $50, some give more. Everyone gives what they can, and they're the ones who make this ministry possible. So it's with great gratitude I say thanks a ton for your support. And I invite those of you who've been impacted by this ministry, if you want to join the team of supporters, you can swing over to listenerscommentary.com. You can click the Give button up in the top. It'll take you to a page where you can set up a one-time or recurring monthly donation. Or if you want to, you can support the ministry by going to the Study Hub and uh, giving right there whatever you can afford at the Study Hub as well. All monthly donors get access to the bonus resources there inside the Study Hub. So thanks a ton in advance for your support.